Luke chapter 2. As we um, enter into a week where we are, um, it's, a, it's a shorter week for us during Advent because Christmas Eve is Thursday. And if you are able to be with us, we'll have a Christmas Eve service here at 5 o'clock. Uh, that's when we light the Christ candle. And that signifies the end of Advent and the beginning of Christmas, which lasts for 12 days. Um, and uh, as we go the last couple of days, though, in our Advent devotional, we're, we'll be talking more and more about peace. And uh, today I want to look at peace and how we see it in the, in the story of... Uh, I've been doing a different character each week. So we did Mary, Jesus, Joseph. Now we get to the shepherds. Uh, so let's look at them and let's see what we can learn. Uh, this will be one of those things where like, we'll read a little bit and I'll talk a little bit. I'll kind of go, go through it that way. So verse 8, chapter 2 of Luke. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. The angel said to them, Fear not, for... Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Okay, so you, you are familiar with the setting. Um, it's nighttime. They're on the hillside. Angels appear, an, an angel appears. And uh, let's look at that last statement in verse 10. Uh, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Um, that, that phrase, good news, when you look in the original language, that that is a as a proclamation, and that that phrase is used in in that part of the world at this time, um, and really that part of the world, just that entire region of the world, um, to to communicate something very specific. That whenever uh, whenever a child was born into the royal family, they would send out messengers who would bring this proclamation into all of the towns. Uh, and everywhere that, that, that they ruled, they would send these riders on horses or something like that, and they would come in and they would, they would proclaim, hey, I have good news, we have a new prince or princess or you know, whatever, whatever the structure was at the time. And so that, that phrase would associate uh, with, with a, a birth uh, into a royal family. So in other words, the angel is saying, uh, I have good news that a king has been born. So they would have associated that with royalty. Then the second thing, uh, good news of great joy. And as I talked about last week, joy, joy is, is our soul's um, realization, recognition, celebration of the fact that God is active in our midst. And so it's, it's proclamation that a king is born, but that's not coming from Rome. That's not coming from any sort of, it's from Persia or Assyria or Babylon. This is coming from heaven. That God is saying, uh, God, God is saying, I am active among you. And the reason you're going to be joyful is because you're going to realize that this is, this is of me. This is my king. This is my child. A king is born into my kingdom. Um, and that will evoke great joy in you. And then the last part of the statement says, and that joy is going to be for, for all the people. Um, in Genesis chapter 12, God makes a promise to Abraham. He says that the nations will be blessed through your family lineage. And so this is like, a, this is like the fulfillment of that happening. This is the blessing that is coming to all the people. And so the, the angel comes and says, I have a proclamation to make. Um, 
that a king has been born into the kingdom of God, and that is that means that God is active among all the people, not just you shepherds, not just Israel. You know, it's not just for the Jewish nation. It's for Jews, Gentiles, male, female, everybody, everywhere. Uh, today is changing the entire game for you. Um, and so... That is a pretty significant thing. And then, then there's some, some detail given. Verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Okay, so this would have been familiar to, to them, this, this region, Bethlehem. We know from Micah chapter 5 that one of the prophecies they, they were aware of is that that's where the Messiah will be born into, in the, the, in the, the city of the birthplace of David. And so that was, that was tracking along with them really well. Um, but two things that would have been strange, so that, that wouldn't have been the strange part, because they're like, yeah, we live here, we know that's a part of, the, of what we've been waiting for. Um, one, one strange thing is that uh, the proclamation of a royal birth um, would not normally be associated with finding this baby in, uh, in essentially a, a cave where the animals, like, let's say they eat there, uh, where, the can- where animals kind of like live, right? If a, if, a, if a baby is born to a royal family, then that baby's going to be in the palace somewhere, right? In this royal nursery, that's like just this amazing kind of thing. If you want to find this royal baby, you'd have to go get into the palace somehow. But the angel's saying, no, this royal baby is actually right over there in David. You need to go to where, go to where all your sheep give birth. That's where you'll find him. That, that would that have been strange. And then saying that the baby would be in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger, that would have brought other things. And I'll get to that in a little bit. So that part of... The, the strange part to them would not be that the child was born, um, that the Messiah was born in Bethlehem that day because they were familiar with that. But the other details probably would not have made a whole lot of sense to them in the moment. But let's keep going. Verse 13. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Okay, so one angel comes and gets to deliver this news, and it's almost like the other angels were like, we, can't, we just can't take it anymore, and heaven just like opens up and explodes. Um, and I think that's a beautiful like, reminder of the fact that uh, as much as the people had waited for the Messiah, um, heaven was also waiting. And heaven was far more invested and far more joyous about what is happening here. And so <clears throat> as exciting as the whole thing is to us, and it was to these shepherds. You think about the the angels and all of heaven, like being like, finally, it is it is is here. This is the night that we've been waiting for. And notice what they say in verse fourteen. <clears throat> there's a there's this hierarchy, right? The first thing they they do is they give glory to God. Then they say, on earth, peace among those with whom He is pleased, and peace among those with whom He is pleased. That just actually kind of brings glory back to God in the first place. And so there's, there's an order to this that it's very important for us to, to remember that, that this is all about God. It's easy to make 
Christmas and Jesus' first advent and all this, it's easy to make all this, all this stuff very man-centered. And that's our default, right? Our default is to make everything about us. And here's a reminder that, that heaven understands the order. Glory to God and on earth, peace, which then just brings more glory to God. And so, and so here we are with like another reminder that this is really not about us. This is about him. Um, but since we're learning about peace and they talk about peace, let's talk about that part of the proclamation for a second. Um, <clears throat> on earth, peace among those whom uh, he is pleased. So let's break that down uh, for a second. So among those whom he is pleased, what, is, what does that mean? Well, we have, to, we have to kind of think about what does it mean to please the Lord? What does it mean to, to, for God to have favor toward us? What does it mean, like how do we put a smile on the face of God? Um, there are lots of passages of scripture I could go to and build a very long list of, of examples and, and all those kind of things. But, but what we really probably need today is, is not that. We probably just need like a big, give me a, a one overarching thing that the Bible points to as what pleases God the most. And I think that overarching thing would have to be love. That ha- it has to be it. And here's a couple of reasons that make me think that. Uh, you don't have to turn to these, but um, John 3.16 says, For God, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Typically, that's a like an Easter verse. I think it's a Christmas verse as well. That out of love, God sent his son. Out of love, the son said yes uh, to coming here um, so that we would avoid that like destination of perishing and he would put us on the new path to eternal life. That that was all driven by love. And so Jesus comes to the earth and in his ministry, uh, we see in Matthew 22, they try to trip him up. They say, teacher, uh, which is which is the great commandment in the in the law, and um, Jesus said to him, "You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind." This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it: you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So when they say what's the great commandment, they're kind of saying like what makes God pleased. Jesus answered, "Well, love him." That's primary. From that, you love one another. So commandment one and commandment two are both about love. And so it would seem that God is uh, m- pleased when we realize his love for us, like we receive him, receive that gift of love as him, as our Lord, as our Savior, as we place our faith in him, as our Redeemer. Like when we receive that love and when we give that love back to him, that there's a, there's a vertical sense where love is coming our way from him and going back to him from us. And I just go up because that kind of makes sense. But um, there's that, that vertical sense. And then um, Jesus says, to love your neighbor as yourself. He also says in John 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. That's how you're to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So he loves us. We love him. That's happening, and then from there, we learn to love one another. And so it's, it's vertical, it's horizontal. Um, when asked, Jesus points to love. 
when giving a new commandment, he reinforces that idea of love and, his, and the new standard that he has set. And so I would say that the scriptures, if you had to look for one overarching thing that pleases God the most, I would say it is love. Receiving his love, loving him back, and loving one another. That seems to be the like defining like hallmark of God and his people and his kingdom. And so um, if you go back to what the angel is saying, peace among those whom he is pleased. Peace will come to those who are receiving him, receiving his love and loving him in return and loving one another. When, when that, those rhythms are happening, this thing called peace comes with it. And so what is, what is biblical peace? When we hear peace, we need to think about the, the full restoration of something that, that, once, uh, that once was whole and yet it has been broken. And so we're restoring something that, that has been fractured, that has been uh, damaged, that has been blemished somehow, that has been changed. And so the peace that's coming to the earth in Christ is a, is a restoration of the wholeness that once was ours, but yet sin broke it. And if you were to like, dive into that a little bit more, most of that, like the, most of that is going to be relational. And so our relationship to God was broken by sin. And Jesus has come offering peace, okay, offering a restoration to our wholeness in regard to our relationship to God. I'm saying you, you and God are at odds, and Jesus says, but I can, I can fix that. That's what peace is. It isn't taking away the conflict. It isn't changing, you know, making our feelings get a little bit better. It's, it's no, I'm, I'm going to restore this broken relationship that God himself was willing to do that. And so uh, peace, like when God, we realize God loves us and we love God and that is happening, there is this, there is this restoration that happens, this, what the biblical word would be shalom that comes we're saying, yeah, this is, this is what we were created for in the first place. Not only did sin break our relationship with God, it broke our relationship with, it, with one another. And so if you go back to Genesis, you immediately see Adam and Eve start, they turn on one another. So they're hiding from God, brokenness. Turn on one another, brokenness. Jesus comes to give peace to restore us to God, to that wholeness in our vertical relationship with God and in our relationships with one another. You say, hey, you don't, you don't know how to forgive. You don't know how to live peaceably with one another. You don't know how to walk in restoration. You, you don't know how to do that. Look at, look at your world. Look at, look at how you've managed to divide and divide and divide and divide. Just, just take the sin of racism alone, just that one thing. We can't fix it. So Jesus was like, well, uh, I'll come fix it. How about that? How about I, I bring the one thing that can, bring, can provide true wholeness and restoration to your, your relationships? We're also broken in relation to, to ourselves. We look at ourselves, you know, we're so tough on ourselves. There's all this stuff. There's all, all kind of self-loathing and and all kind of things that we live with and regrets and all this kind of stuff. And so you're broken, you're broken not only how you look at other people, but also how you look in the mirror. And there's a, so whether it's relationship with God or relationship with others, relationship to self, 
There's all this brokenness. And the angel will say, hey, I have really, really great news. Um, the kingdom has had a baby. And that baby is going to bring peace to all of you who realize who he is. When you realize who he is and you realize who you are and you realize what he's come to do for you to restore wholeness between you and God, and then that will bring wholeness between you and others and you and yourself. Um, if you understood all that, if you understood all those moving parts, you'd be doing what heaven is doing right now. You'd be exploding with glory to God in the highest. You know? It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so peace, peace has come in Christ, and it is solidifying now. And then one day when he returns, it will be completed forever. And that's kind of one of these patterns that we see with God, where, where it's like he's done something, and he's doing something, and he will do something. And they all fit together, and it's kind of this mystery, you know? But Jesus has brought peace. Like Jesus has come and he has restored you to God. That's a done thing. And you and I are, we're kind of, we're just playing catch up with this reality that he has created. So he has connected us to God again. The vine and the branches are there. His life is flowing into us. We're just learning how to bear the fruit. You know, it just takes, it takes a while for us. So he has made peace. Um, and then we're, we're kind of like behind the curve a little bit. So we're learning to live in peace. Not only with God, but also with ourselves and also with one another. So Jesus came and did this thing, and now he's at work among us, and he's doing this thing ongoing. And we're waiting for this return that's in our future that Advent keeps pointing us toward. When that whole process, everything that we're going through, all of that will be completed and done, and we do not have an eternity of how to, how to figure out how to forgive how to figure out how to deal with our addictions and, and our problems and our brokenness. That's not what the future is. That's just what right now is. And so here at Advent, we're hanging out between his first coming and his second coming, and we're like, well, where's the peace? He's like, well, I brought peace. I restored you to God. And I'm restoring you to one another and to yourself, and you're learning to be restored to God as well. God's good with you. It's just you're kind of catching up to him. That's what's happening here while we wait for this big final thing. And meanwhile, heaven's just going berserk. Like, you guys have no idea how, how amazing this is. You have no idea how intense this proclamation is. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, wholeness to those who receive his love, love him back, and learn to love one another. That's what we do while we're waiting for his return. And so, look at verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph. They found the baby lying in a manger. And this is amazing to me. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. So they find him, and what the text seems to say is that they probably talked to Mary and Joseph and were like, do you know who this baby is? And they're like, yeah, uh, we each had an angel tell us. And they're like, we had an angel tell us too. And they probably had a moment. And they're probably bugging out. But then it says, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. It sounds like they couldn't keep their mouth shut. Like they started telling people. 
Have you heard the proclamation? Have you heard who was born tonight? And in case you're wondering what your origin story is, this is part of it. Like the gospel started that night, trickling its way through, because these shepherds started telling people, and people were like, oh, could it be, could it be? And it started to trickle, and it worked its way through all the way down until it found its way to you and me, on its way to somebody else, you know. And so we see the beginnings of this, this incredible pathway for that gospel proclamation to make it to the ends of the earth. It didn't stay with the shepherds. It didn't stay with Mary and Joseph. It didn't stay with, with Israel. It was for all people, all the nations, because God's love is for all of us. But that, that pathway, that, the way that it got to you and it got to me, it, it had to go through the cross. It wasn't just the birth. The birth is kind of the beginnings of a, of a story that we all know, and we're not really very far from Lent coming up, and then uh, we're going to go slowly through the back end of Mark, um, and we're going to spend a lot of time in the, like, it's going to be awesome. It'll be a little bit intense, but it'll be fine. That's what we're going to do in the spring, headed, in, headed toward Easter. Uh, we know that that's coming. It's very easy to, um, to, to forget that as special as all this is, and, and we sing O Holy Night, and we do, we do all the things, and that's fantastic, and we should, that that's, Jesus, Jesus was on a pathway. But you know, we see the pathway even here in the story in a way that I think, I think is worth, worth looking at just really quickly. So um, the, so Bethlehem, some of you have heard me talk about this, some of these things before, but I learned more because I did more studying this year. Um, Bethlehem was known for a couple of things. One of the things they were known for is this is the region. Uh, it's, it's a couple miles, several miles outside of Jerusalem. This is the region where um, sacrificial lambs were raised. That's what they were known for. And so... Um, Sheep were, you know, were all over the place, and they were used for wool and for different, you know, different things. But here, they were they were bred and raised and sold for one purpose, and that was to go to the temple to be sacrificed. And in order to be an acceptable sacrifice, they had to be perfect. They couldn't have there's no blemishes, no broken bones, no no disease or sickness. Uh, there 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 had to be an imperfection about them. And so these shepherds. Uh, were highly trained and highly skilled. Um, they knew they knew how to like produce lambs that would be qualified for sacrifice. Um, incidentally, David David grew up in this region and was probably when we think about David being a shepherd, he was probably one of these kinds of shepherds, like a sacrificial lamb shepherd, which to me um, makes Psalm twenty three like even more. Oof. Uh, and so uh, that's what Bethlehem was known for. And these, um, in order to keep a newborn lamb safe, uh, there was like kind of a process. And so whenever, whenever they could tell that the pregnant mom was about to give birth, they'd take her to, um, to was essentially a, like they had these caves. Uh, and, and not like a like deep, like 
Carlsbad Cavern type cave, but just like a, an enclosure in a rock, some rock formation somewhere. But it was sheltered, and they would, it was like a ritual cleansing that they would do before she would give birth. And there would be a, um, there would be a trough that was there, and they would cut out, they would carve out a stone just a place to put food because they didn't want her grazing. Uh, they just wanted her there because they wanted to have the baby in this clean cave. And so they would clean this area, and the, um, I was reading a lot about this in the, a lot of Jewish tradition talks about this. And so they would, uh, one of the things that would happen whenever, whenever a lamb is born out in the wild, they, uh, they just like thrash around and they're just kind of like go berserk a little bit and, uh, just have, happy to be free, you know? And so they're like going berserk and a lot of times they'll hurt themselves. They'll break a bone. They'll hit their head on something. Um, they and what that does for sacrificial lamb is that disqualifies them from being able to be sacrificed. Uh, if you're raising them for wool, that's a whole different thing. And so what the sh- these shepherds would do is um, they would, whenever the lamb was born, they would take the lamb and they would wrap it in swaddling cloth, just like you do, like just like we do our newborns, like you kind of make the little cocoon thing, right? But they would do that so that it would kind of bundle them up so they couldn't hurt themselves, just to help ease their transition into the world because they wanted to make sure that they stayed perfect. Um, so when the shepherds heard uh, that description of um, you're going to find a, a baby in, a, in swaddling cloths in a, in a manger, which is the feeding trough, like that to them doesn't say royal baby. <laughs> that says lamb, Right, like they're describing what they do for their lambs, but that's where the Messiah is born. That's why I say it wouldn't have it wouldn't have made a lot of sense to them. And it seems like these shepherds, who were professionals at raising lambs that were destined for sacrifice in the temple, it's like God was saying, "Hey, I, I know what you do, and it's really important." Um, but I want you to come see something. I want you to come see the the last lamb. You know? Like, when John the Baptist saw Jesus walking toward him, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's almost like God was like, Hey, you know who we're going to tell first? We're going to tell the shepherds first because they, they get it. And so we even see the cross forecasted in the birth narrative of saying, hey, you know what's normally born here? Sacrificial lambs. They're, this is a special one. And this lamb is going to pay the price and die once but for all. He doesn't have to die again. So boys, you're about to be out of a job. <laughs> you know? Everything's about to change now. And that proclamation of good news carries with it the, the burden and the agony and the darkness of Good Friday and the hope and the life and the power of Easter Sunday. And all of that's contained in this story here. And so it's almost like God was like, okay, not people aren't going to understand this, but the shepherds, they'll get it. And not only will they get it, they'll start telling people about it. They'll, they'll understand that, uh, that God is doing something 
here. He's, he's doing something among his people. And I'm thankful those shepherds started telling folks. And I'm thankful for the, the faithful men and women that they shared that with that were faithful to tell others and others and others and others that, hey, peace with God is available to you now. Peace with one another is available to you now. Peace with yourself is, is, is available now. All because God loved us and sent his son to bring peace on earth. And here we are. And so what we do, as I've said each week, is we, we wait. We have the peace that he has made, the peace that he is making, and the peace that we're waiting for him to make. We grow in the wholeness and the fullness that he has provided for us. And so Jesus has made peace. Jesus is making peace. Jesus will make peace. And as we wait in the middle, I just feel like faithfulness is, is what it comes down to for us. All four themes of the Advent candle, that we wait in hope, that we wait in love, that we wait in joy, that we wait in peace. Hope, because we know he's coming again, and we get to be with him forever. Love, because he loved first, loved us first, and we get to love him in return. Joy, because our souls know God is doing something while we wait in between his first advent and his second advent. And peace, and knowing that the wholeness that he has given us and is working through in us, one day will be brought to, to where it is complete in us. And we have an eternity forever where that wholeness will just be the way it is. There are no seasons of, of peace. There are no circumstances with peace or feelings of peace. There's just this reality. And here, here's my, my last thing. This is why. In Micah chapter 5, Micah says this. This is the prophecy. It says that he, he shall be their peace. That when the Messiah comes, he shall be their peace. Um, and then Paul in Ephesians 2 says this. He himself is our peace. The prophecy said he will be. Paul says he is. Our peace, is, it's not an emotion not a state of mind it's not a circumstantial thing working out our peace is a person and we celebrate the fact that that person left heaven was born lived a perfect life died rose again goes to prepare a place for us and will come back for us that's the sequence and so wherever in your life right now you're feeling those voids and those gaps you know Ask Jesus to bring peace to those things. And in those relationships, in your understanding of your relationship to God, whatever it is that doesn't feel whole, ask him, will you, will you bridge those gaps? Will you solidify the, the, the breaks in there? Will you bring wholeness either now or give me hope that it will be one day? So he himself is our peace. He is our peace. He's Continuing to be our peace will be our peace, all of it at once. And so, as we bring our last Sunday of our last Sunday of Advent together, um, we're going to sing a little bit more. We're going to sing some of those like forward-thinking songs, just about the the whole idea of Christ has come, Christ will come again, and here we are in between them. 
And so as we sing, I, I just would encourage you to listen to the words. Let the Lord bless you um, during this time. Let's pray together as our musicians come back.